this is almost a, a novel in its beauty and what this story is saying. Um, in the background of it, you may know that well scenes, scenes at a well in the Bible often have something to do with romance. They often have something to do with romance. So you may think of Abraham sending his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And he meets, um, he meets the future wife there at the well. Then Jacob is looking for a wife. He finds her at a well. Moses is at a well, meets his wife. This story is turning that theme on its head. A woman who has had five husbands... And is now with a man who is not her husband. Who is looking for something to satisfy the depths of her soul. And still has not found it. Meets the Lord Jesus. The true husband. At the well. In the middle of the day. There is much of this where Jesus is walking a fine line. That seems nearly inappropriate. But Jesus is seeking the soul of this woman. He's seeking her to become a worshiper, to love the Father, to become his bride. So let me zoom out for a moment. Last week, we listened to the story of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a guy who seemed to have a lot of life figured out. He's the opposite of the Samaritan woman in nearly every way. But that story reveals that even Nicodemus is lost when it comes to God. He is lost. Towards the end of the conversation with Nicodemus comes come the most famous words from the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. This week... We are seeing the breadth of that whoever. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman are lost in different ways, but they are both lost. All of us without Jesus are lost. And that lostness can look very different, but it is still lostness. There is not one form of lostness that's more respectable than another form of lostness. Lostness is lostness. And we all need the Lord Jesus to draw us out of our lostness, to find us. God loves both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman and everything in between. So the story of the Samaritan woman, actually we didn't, you didn't hear this, but I need to share this with you. It actually begins in verse 4 where it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. If you have a Bible and you underline in it, that's something that you should underline. On first blush, it sounds like a matter of directions, getting where he needed to go. He has to go through the town of Samaria. But that's not true. It's not true that Jesus has to go through Samaria to get where he needs to go. Jews for centuries had found ways of entirely avoiding the town of Samaria. Uh, If Jews had a maps app, 
and it brought up the potential ways to go, like it wouldn't give Samaria as an option to go through. It always puts you going around Samaria, adding on half an hour, whatever it took, but you don't go through Samaria. The point is, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria because of directions. Statements like this, where Jesus has to do something, must do something, they're called divine, statements of divine necessity. Statements of divine necessity. And they come up all over the Gospels. So, for instance, Jesus, when he's a child, goes missing, and his parents are looking for him, and they finally find him. And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be at my father's house? Where else could Jesus be but his father's house? It's a statement of divine necessity. This is who Jesus is. He must be at his father's house. We use languages like this sometimes in our day where we say we have to follow our heart. You know that saying? Um, God uses that, but in a better way. Okay? This, is, this makes up the entire being of who God is. It's not that he's letting his heart determine who he is. God knows who he is, and he has to follow that. So there's another statement of divine necessity later that points to Jesus' death. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and die. Divine necessity means because of who God is, he has to behave in this way. And in the case of the Samaritan woman, it is divine necessity that Jesus must go to Samaria because he so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus loves the world so much that he has to take the love of God to the places and people in the world that most need it. And in his time and place, that was Samaria. This is the love of God that leads him into Samaria. Now, I want to show you two more qualities that come out of Jesus as a result of his love in this story. Two qualities that come out of Jesus as a result of his love. One quality that comes out of Jesus because of his love is humility. Humility. How does the conversation between Jesus and this woman begin? It begins because Jesus is thirsty. And he asks her to give him a drink. In Greek, when you read something that says, um, do this, in a situation like this, it sounds, if you read it in your Bible, it says, give me a drink. And it sounds sort of like cursor, uh, mean, woman, give me a drink. That's not it. it. You actually have to insert, please give me a drink in front of that. The conversation begins because Jesus is thirsty. And this is remarkable because Jesus in a moment is going to say that he could give her living water. Water that would make her never be thirsty again. And the one who says he can give living water is now, at the start of the story, thirsty. Which is really confusing. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. 
for now, what I want us to see is that Jesus is God and he is man. And his need as man for water is what opens the door for conversation. Let me make this even more pointed. Jesus, the Son of God, does not begin the conversation by first asking the woman whether she is going to heaven or hell. That's not how Jesus starts a conversation. Maybe there's a time for that. It's not here. And not only does his thirst open the door for conversation, the question places him in need of her. I want you to think for a moment about how asking someone for something, especially something essential to your well-being, puts you in need of someone and humbles you even in the asking. Think about the way it empowers the person that you're asking for something because the person that you're asking gets to decide whether they're going to give it or not. Do you see how Jesus is entering into a humble posture before a woman who has never had any power likely in her entire life? She's going to say, how can you, a Jew, ask for water from me, a Samaritan? He's going to have to drink after her. Look, I know that we look back on cultural things like this and think those are a thing of the past, but many of us are unwilling to drink about after people in our own family, much less people who are very different from us. Jesus, merely by asking for water, puts himself beneath this woman, and he empowers someone who's probably never had power. Jesus, here's the thing that I'm wanting you to see in this, us to see. Jesus, more than any other human being, lived perfectly. But not just into his strengths, Jesus lived perfectly into his weaknesses. His weaknesses. I'm thirsty. Will you please give me a drink? The Apostle Paul said that when he was weak, he was strong. Which, again, is one of those confusing things that the Bible says. That's impossible to believe, I think, apart from Jesus. But Jesus' weakness in this moment is a strength. He's able to humble himself before a woman who could probably struggle trusting anyone, much less a Jewish man. Jesus' love enables him to be humble. Humility is a quality that comes out of Jesus because of his love. I'm going to talk about this more in a moment, but I think for most Christians, we've been taught going into sharing about Jesus with people that we need to know more than they do. But Jesus starts out with weakness. What if Christians, in seeking to pursue people with the love of God, instead of trying to start out with strength, started out with weakness? Some kind of humility before the other. Before those who do not even know God. Jesus' love enables him to be humble. Now, the other quality that comes out of Jesus because of love is truth. 
truthfulness. Jesus is the most humble and the most truthful human who ever lived. Truth, from a Christian perspective, I think this is one of the most important things for Christians in our moment to understand what truth is, what it means. Truth, from a Christian perspective, is not merely dropping truth bombs on people and then walking away. It's not mic drop moments where we something, say something really hard and then just, you know, get impress people around us somehow. Truth, from a Christian perspective, is always intensely relational. Intensely relational. So the Hebrew word for truth is the same word for faithfulness. Please hear this. The Hebrew word for truth that we're, we're, that's in this story, it, it's the same word for faithfulness. Do you see how relational it is? It means being true to someone. Relationally committed and consistent. But faithfulness does entail a willingness to say things that are difficult to hear. So a local counselor talked with our parish group, small group leaders last Sunday evening. um, Training, just equipping and encouraging them. And he was talking about how we have to be willing to talk to each other when we've hurt each other. So often when someone's hurt us, we go tell someone else about that, right? So-and-so hurt me. And we create this relational triangle that often gets bigger than a triangle that becomes this tangled web. And he said that Christians of all people have to be willing to talk to each other when we've hurt each other. Or when we know that we've hurt someone else, we have to go to them. And he told this story of a friend that he confronted about something one time. This friend had not, not been um, respectful of him in some ways. And he went to this friend and, and confronted him. And he said it didn't go well at first. He talked to him and then the friend barely said anything. And then just the conversation ended. It was over. And he was discouraged. Man, I tried to do right. And later this friend called him and said... No one has ever done that with me before. And it made me think of all the people who have walked out of my life and I didn't understand why. And then I thought, wow, you must love me a lot that you are willing to say that to me. Thank you. Now, admittedly, it doesn't often go that well. (laughs) It should within the church. But it doesn't always go that well. What I want to tell you is that in love, Jesus is willing to say those things to us that would hurt us. But it's because he loves us so much. Why is truthfulness so important? You know, when Jesus says that he can give the woman living water... Water that can become this spring that gushes forth and continually produces more and more water will never run dry. He's talking in that moment clearly about the inner life of a person. Jesus, again, has just said that he's thirsty, physically thirsty. But physical hungers and thirsts are always a picture, a shadow 
of a deeper hunger and thirst. And Jesus is talking here about our inner life. The source of all goodness within us. Those things like love, faithfulness, peace, and on and on. The qualities, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the woman asked Jesus, Jesus has told her, I can give you this water. And she says, well, please do give it to me. I'd love to have that water. And Jesus then pops the question. Go call your husband. With one question, Jesus calls forth all the secrets and shame of decades of her life. What question could Jesus ask you that could call forth all the secrets and shame of decades of your life? I'm sure there's a question like that in your life. I know there are in mine. But with that one question, Jesus is essentially saying to her, all these secrets that you have, they keep you from receiving the water that I want to give you. You see, this is why truthfulness is so important. Sin is not some random list of things that God has picked not to like, like kids and vegetables. I just don't prefer that. Sin isn't that way. Sin scars the soul. It scars our soul. It dries up the well of life that God wishes to give us. It always promises life, but instead it always weakens and diminishes us until it shrinks us down to nothingness and destroys us. Now, whether it is to redirect the conversation or not, I'm not... I'm not Sure, the woman begins asking Jesus about religious debates between the Samaritans and Jews. It's sort of like when we have religious debates, you know, when we start talking about matters of substance and then they say, well, which church is really the true church? Now, Samaritans, so you know, practice what's called syncretistic religion, meaning they combined elements of different faiths. So they practice some elements of Jewish faith, but then they also practice elements of pagan faiths as well. The woman's physical adultery is actually a picture of a more significant spiritual adultery among Samaritans. They're worshiping all these false gods, and now she's committing adultery in her physical life as well. And even here, listen, Jesus does not pull punches. Jesus is the most humble, but he's also the most truthful. Their false religion has led them astray. Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But then he goes on. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now this is what truth looks like in practice. Jesus is telling her the truth, but he's seeking her the whole time. The Father is seeking you to worship him in spirit and truth. 
Jesus' love enables him here to be both humble and truthful. To pursue her with humility, but also expose for her, because he loves her, the sin that keeps her from him and the sin that would keep her from having this well of life within her. This, This happens to all of us. Sin keeps us from experiencing the well of life that God wishes to give us. Now, before we close, I want to show you how the woman responds to all of this. Jesus' loving humility and truthfulness enable the woman to return to her community in humility and in truth. I'm going to say that again. Jesus' humility and truthfulness enable the woman to go to her community in humility and truthfulness. So, so listen to what she says. She goes to her community, and think about this. This is likely a place where this woman was mostly ignored and talked about behind her back. She walked around in shame every day of her life. So the woman returns into the town and shouts this in the streets. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I want you to think about this for a moment. A woman known for the number of men she's married and unmarried announces loudly across town, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can you imagine the thoughts that are running through the people in town? Can you? I'm speculating just a bit but I think the story points in this direction. That the thought that could have run through people's minds was something along the lines of, wow, that must have been a lot. But here, but she's here. This woman that we all talk about in private, she is unashamedly announcing it, seemingly free from her past in a way we've never seen her. Who is it that she could have met that has enabled her to become so free from the shame that we all helped pile on top of her? What has enabled her to be so free? Here's what I'm trying to say again. Jesus' own love, his humility and his truthfulness enable the woman to go back in humility and truthfulness. Listen, she's not going to air all her dirty laundry in a list, but she's going to say, you know what? I know that I've sinned. And I've met someone who could tell me all about it and still love me. And still love me. And I want you to know that the same thing is true for you and for all of us. In his love, Jesus comes to us and in humility and in truthfulness because he wants to set us free. I wonder how you're doing at allowing Jesus to speak truthfully into the depths of your soul about the things that might be drying up that well that he wants to give you of water that should never run dry. 
How are you doing in allowing Jesus to ask you about those things? Are you allowing him to say those things to you? This this story comes to us in a couple of directions. One, we are the Samaritan woman in some ways. And we need to allow Jesus to speak humbly and truthfully into our lives. And I want you to know that Jesus, he, he wants to set you free. And he wants to give you his living water. And if you don't have that, I hope that you will come and talk to me or someone, anyone here, about that. But the story comes at us in another direction too, because Jesus wants us to be his witnesses. And so I want to say to you, Church of the Lamb, to Christians, are you going to people in humility and in truthfulness and bearing witness to the Lord Jesus? Again, I said this earlier, my assumption had always been that if I was going to go to people and talk to them about Jesus, I had to know more than them. But I, I think what Jesus wants to say to us is the only thing that you need to know is me. <laughs> me. You need to know how much I've loved you and how I told you everything you ever did. <laughs> and I still loved you. This woman is the most effective evangelist I think I've heard of. She converts a city. And the message is, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Are you going to people filled with the love of God and clothed in humility and in truthfulness? Don't be afraid to say hard things to people. Listen, Jesus got rejected. We're all going to get rejected for something. Come on. It's going to be okay. The Lord's going to be with us. Be wise, be gentle, be humble, and be truthful. The Lord Jesus, he came because God the Father loved the world so much to send his son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you have that life? And are you helping others to receive that life? If our church is not doing that, oh, then we've got a lot of work to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.